0: just want to help the average person Um, not another dog trainer per se or whatever because I'm not going to teach another dog trainer all that much so yeah keeping it simple I love that because that way everybody feels like they can finish listening to us talk and then go do it
1: Hi, welcome back to "Till Dog Podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein, and I have with me today, Erica Gonzalez, certified dog trainer and owner of From Dusk Till Dog as part of the Enrichment Series. Hi, Erica. How are you?
0: Hi. Thanks so much for having me, Elizabeth. I'm, I'm doing
1: well. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. You were, I reached out to a trainer friend to ask for recommendations and you were one of the ones that popped up. So I decided to reach out and this was exciting. Yeah.
0: That's so nice. Thanks for letting me know that. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. I live yeah. in Richmond. So this is a wonderful topic for me. I absolutely adore this topic. So I'm excited to talk about it.
1: So whereabouts are you located?
0: So I'm located in uh, South Jersey, New Jersey, about 20 minutes from Philadelphia. So
1: I'm a suburban gal. That's actually where I was living before I moved to Arkansas. I was with Philly Unleashed. So pretty sure. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know Philly Unleashed. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're great. How did yeah. you first get involved with dog training? Is it How long have you been doing it?
0: So it's been, oh boy, it's been almost a decade. So a little over nine years now professionally with my business and everything. I come from the corporate world. I, you know, did the normal trajectory my family wanted me to do. I went to college for public relations and I enjoyed that. And I was big on public relations. I worked in that world in corporate America at a Fortune 500 company for a couple of years and then moved and worked at another company at an office. And although I did well and I could do a good job there, I just knew deep down, it wasn't really what I was passionate about. And I just had different hopes for myself. So um, I essentially be decided I wanted to become a dog trainer when I got my first dog as an adult, which is Jade, my pitbull. So she's the reason why I became a dog trainer for the a short version of my story, but I bounced around and had a lot of... Different directional moves I had to do. I went left, I went right, I, you know, made different moves and then wound up where I am now, which is, you know, with my business from Dust Tull Dog and just doing content and and trying to give back to everybody online and give them information. So yeah, it's been a weird road, a good road, but having ups and downs, like every every career move and life changes as they go. But Jade's the real reason. The second I realized we were going to get her, I called around, I found catch enrolled right away. And so I basically learned as I was raising Jade in my life and and having my first dog. So it was a great journey. And yeah, she's the reason. So her face is plastered everywhere on my stuff because she's (laughs) she's my gal. Um, But now we have Freddie as well, my little chihuahua mix. And so he's been a great addition. So I have those two keeping me busy.
1: So that is, that's fascinating to me. So you're basically in a high powered career, you're in the, on the corporate ladder and you get a dog and you're like, I'm not just getting training for my dog. I'm going to become the professional trainer. So what was that process for you? And why did you choose catch?
0: So that process was, and I, I do, I mentor up and coming uh, students and trainers now that, and so looking back, I wish I had some, somebody to maybe talk to. So I think that's what made that, that program a thing for me. But I, I just called around, I tried to research, I'm a researcher, so I went days and days looking stuff up. And I think it's hard if you don't know what to look for, where to go, what to do, what should the investment be? there's a lot of options, but I, I actually called catch and I've gone through multiple other certifications since then, but that was my original one. And I, the person who answered the phone actually graduated high school with me. So (laughs) it was a very weird kind of like, Oh, Kelly, what? And we were like, (laughs) realized we knew each other. Mm -hmm. So not that I'm a, a, you know, like, Oh, it's a sign and I have to sign up right now, but it was just a, a good, moment it was reinforcing for me i felt comfortable and so she gave me the low down everything and and i was like okay we'll go here and then as i learned through there realizing you know just what it entailed and it was very comprehensive and and had mentor you know i'd have a mentor someone i could learn from that was already in the business for an extended period of time and so it kind of checked all the boxes initially and then since then, you know, I've gone to other things and tried to, to get up further education because I b- really believe in continuing education as a necessity for dog trainers in our profession as I'm sure you can appreciate doing what you do and having your certification. So constantly learning. But yeah, I just, it was just kind of a, a I guess a moment I just called and it all kind of fell into place. So I went with it and luckily it wound up being a good school and and a good pick uh, because there's so many. So some are better, like anything, some are better than others or might fit a person's personality better than others or might be a direction that they want to go in with training. But this was like a nice comprehensive approach to figuring out what I wanted to do.
1: Did you, what would you, would you label yourself a certain way as a dog trainer? Do you use terms like positive reinforcement or fear-free or force-free?
0: Yeah, I hope I live in a world where I don't have to say that at some point where I can just say I'm a dog trainer, (laughs) but I think I do unfortunately have to have that description sometimes. And so, yeah, I mean, I I usually call myself a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant because that's officially my title. So I like to just go to what I have credentials in and just fall on that. But I do think sometimes, you know, unfortunately, I guess I do have to say, you know, I'm positive a positive trainer. I'm, I am fear-free certified. So I do use terms I'm fear-free certified trainer. And yeah, I do use force-free sometimes. And I think, I think it depends on the context where I feel I need to bring that up, but I definitely want my clients to know, Hey, this is my approach. This is what, you know, people in my profession are, going towards this is what what we want to use not only is it effective but it's a great way to continue and furthering your bond and enhancing the bond with your dog so I, uh, I do want my clients to know that that's what they're signing up for when they sign up with me so I am out there with it but Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I do have those labels on occasion, but I I usually like to say I'm just a certified dog trainer and I start there and then if we have to work further then I explain, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I do put it out there as I want people to know where I'm at with it and what I'm up to.
1: I asked that because there, it seems like there's a lot of polar methodologies in the dog Mm -hmm. training world. So I was wondering, as you were researching and trying to find a place like Catch Academy, did you make a deliberate decision about the sort of methods that you were going to use, or was that something that came out of naturally of working with catch?
0: Great question. I think I've always, you know, I didn't, I didn't know as much as I know now, 10 years later in the game. So I was still very green with it. And I did, I knew I didn't want to use anything that was going to hurt my dog um, or make them feel uncomfortable or nervous or anything like that. But It wasn't something that I thought about right out of the gate in the way I would think about it now signing up for things, but I I did want to make sure that it wasn't going to be using anything that wasn't positive. I didn't know at the time to say force-free or positive training or those buzzwords that we hear now, but I think it was a little bit of both. I kind of knew in my heart that I'm going to treat my dogs in a certain way and try to be positive with them. But I didn't necessarily know that that was such a big thing in the profession until you get in the profession and you realize there's a lot of uh, issues with that but I always say you know can somebody use other methods that aren't positive sure can they work absolutely do I need to I don't think so so that's where I just I'm, I'm rather be on the right side of that just for me I think everybody's different, but I also, I do try to educate people that it's not necessary. You can, but it's not necessary. And the good news with positive training is you don't have, you have to worry about negative side effects or other things that might stem from it and concerns. And I've had to deal with so many clients over the years that have had to face that. And I just don't want that for people, so I'm trying to eliminate potential problems. That's always my goal as a trainer. So I'm all about trying to do it as positively as possible and trying to stay on that side of it. So, yeah, I I think that was a a nice happy accident that I kind of knew that, but didn't really know the level, and then catch just obviously is 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 going to promote that. So it it kind of fell into place.
1: Yeah, I I definitely have to talk with people too, even with my clients, if people don't want to give treats sometimes for some reason. So I really appreciate your content of like, it's okay. Bring your treat pouch, you know, it's I okay. try to
0: normalize that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like as trainers, we, I always say, Hey, I'm a professional trainer and I'm out there with my dogs with the treat pouch on. So if the professionals doing it, it might be a good sign that those at home trying to get their dogs to do stuff, you know, model the behavior that you see, um, you know, us trainers doing so, Yeah, I do try to normalize that because I do think for whatever reason, like you said, there's some weird, like, how quickly can we stop rewarding the dogs sometimes? And I get it. You know, we live in a fast-paced world. We click a button. It's ready to go, whatever we want. And, uh, and with dog training and behavior, just like I think parenting is a good example, it's not cut and dry. And you do have to continuously reinforce and, and praise and encourage and model certain things and help guide and you know be prepped and try to be proactive and manage. And there's all of that because you're having a relationship with another being that's in your home living with you. And I think that's different than anything else that we're looking at.
1: If there's concerns about calories or your dog's overweight that's a conversation for a vet and there's always low calorie things to use of course there's a lot of ways to get creative and some dogs prefer something that they find reinforcing like play or or praise but i've also it's it is weird and we we could probably talk about this in depth at another point, but the food aspect, and you mentioned children, and I'm seeing a lot more now of parents being like, you know what, there's snacks around the house. We've pre-approved, they help themselves when they're hungry. And now we're seeing more research, like kids are hungry all the time because they got (laughs) tiny little bellies and they have high metabolism. So it is interesting to kind of see how our relationships with food run into our relationships with our dogs. And, and I see a lot of those elements kind of across the board. So it is, that's it an is.
0: interesting. That's an interesting thought about that. I really appreciate that because it's, I, there's very, there's a lot of truth to that. And I never thought of it in that way until you just said that. I'm like, that makes sense. You know, we do have a, I guess for lack of a better word, kind of a strange relationship with food sometimes as society in many ways. And it can bleed into other areas like with our dogs and I I also think too a lot of people ask me I'm sure you've gotten this question of oh how I don't want to overfeed right I totally appreciate that concern no one wants to overfeed anybody and you know it, it, so I I always say you keeping it simple you don't overfeed by not overfeeding <laughs> so just use their food for training or you know just don't feed them a really big dinner if you just did training a little bit and use some of their food there so it's just about I think just being strategic with, with the food a little bit and, mm-hmm. and make it work for you instead of just in addition to everything that you're doing with your dog.
1: Absolutely. And everything can be very individual too. So right. some, some dogs are super energetic and they never stop moving and that's part of their breed or whatever. So yeah. you're not going to overfeed them like at all, but you know, <laughs> your Bassets or your English Bulldogs, maybe. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe. Right.
0: Well, so. That's true. That's true.
1: <laughs> Well, so you have, you have two dogs of your own and do you do enrichment with them? Oh yeah, they,
0: I absolutely, I I love doing enrichment with, with them. They get that on a regular basis every single day pretty much. I just have it be a part of our lives. So yeah, Jade, my, my Pitbull, who's a senior lady now, um, but she's nine, uh, almost 10 and, and Freddie, we don't know how old he is really. So I think he's probably about six to eight years old now. So he's also getting to be a senior fella. So I have two senior dogs now and they get tons of enrichment. I've always made it a part of their, a part of their lives.
1: How would you describe enrichment?
0: Oh boy, it's an intro. There's so many, as you know, so many different <laughs> definitions for it. But I would basically say giving your dog a task, some type of activity rather, maybe a task activity that is different from what they normally do on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, it's great to go out on a neighborhood, walk around the block, and it's great to play some fetch. And I'm not saying that those things can't be enriching because I think that they are. But especially if the dog really likes them. But I think outside of the normal feed and walk around the block and go outside and do our one thing of fetch, kind of something separate from that, that is the equivalent for human beings of playing a video game or doing a crossword puzzle or something, playing a game on your phone. That's enriching for us. It's mentally stimulating. We're kind of stepping outside our. Quote unquote normal stuff of the day to do something a little fun for ourselves. And so it could be going for a nice little stroll around the park with no pressure and not a lot of time, you know, not like I got to get to a meeting in 10 minutes, you know, kind of just slow it down. So I think it could be a multitude of things. But I think at the end of the day, I like using analogies for people. So I would use those analogies of you know, playing a game or, or doing a puzzle, doing a a puzzle at the table with your family, that kind of thing. So it's kind of doing an activity that is mentally enriching and can also be physically enriching depending on the, on the circumstance for dogs, but something enriching and fun and out of the
1: normal kind of setup for dogs. Absolutely. And we're just talking about food and that's kind of the the buzzword is like, everyone thinks food when it comes to enrichment, but it could be as simple as like tearing something up or, Mm -hmm. you know, sniffing things out. Uh, a trainer friend of mine, she pulls out her spice rack and let her dog sniff oh, her spices, you know? So, love that. yeah. So there's just so, so many fun and creative ways that we can do things. A lot of dogs need to shred, right? Puppies yes. need to shred and chew. And so when we can give them appropriate things, right, to shred and chew, then is there a mess? Maybe, probably. Yep. <laughs> but at least they've destroyed something that is not going to, you know, make an impact on your bank account, like your, your couch.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think that's really important to bring up because there's so many different types of enrichment activities. And yes, food-based is a common one most people will see. It's it's very social media friendly to put videos up. So you're going to see a lot of like, I put my dog's food in this and, and I recommend that. I think it's great. But there's also physical enrichment and environmental enrichment and olfactory enrichment is what you're, you were just saying with you know the spice rack and stuff and then cognitive enrichment. So I think there's you know, four or five, six different buckets of things we can we can have the dog still get enriched with that might not be necessarily with food, although food's a great and a major form of it.
1: I saw something recently and I'd love to get your input on that. Someone mentioned that when dogs run through an enrichment activity and so the owner is thinking automatically, well, I got to make it harder. Whereas it's, is it enriching to the dog should be the focus? Not, is it yeah. challenging enough to the dog?
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. Cause I think. Most people do think that way. They're like, how do we make this longer? How do we make this last five hours? You know? And it gets it becomes a the goal instead of is it fun for the dog, like you just mentioned, becomes how much longer can we push it? Mm-hmm. And I'm all for trying to, you know, take a Kong or some type of rubber toy as an example. Yeah, could you give it to them room temperature? And is it going to be gone in just a couple of moments for some dogs? Yeah could we freeze it and the dog still be really happy about it, but now it takes a half hour to get through. Great. Like I'm all for reasonable ways to extend it, but we also don't want to get to a point where it's going to frustrate the dog. So I think there's a fine line between enrichment and then it's frustrating the heck out of the dog and now they're just batting it around and in a frenzy because they're not getting anything out of it or nothing's coming out of the toy or whatever so I I think yes we want to we want to help it last a little bit if there's a way to up it slightly but I think let's not get crazy or carried away where now the dog's just annoyed with us and the and the activity itself. We don't want to make it we don't want to poison the activity and make it fresh. We want it to work for us. So it should be happy and fun for the dog. But that's what we want to be mindful of. So I think that's a great point.
1: And I I love what you're saying too. It's a it's kind of a nuanced, delicate balance sometimes with dogs and their owners because everyone's so individual. And I think we're coming out of this mentality of, well, all dogs need X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, all dogs might need walks and training and enrichment and exercise, but not all in the same way. And some a dog with an owner a certain way might need this whereas a dog Mm -hmm. same breed of dog with a different owner might need this and I think that's where it's important to work with a dog trainer sometimes I'm like okay I'm seeing frustration in your dog do you see where you're seeing frustration in your dog
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah every dog's an individual and just like with you know human beings my exercise regimen is going to be different than someone else's exercise regimen. You know, should we generally be exercising? Yeah, science says it's a good idea to move around, but uh, a walk for me at the park might be my exercise. It might be suitable for me that day. And somebody else might be in the gym for three hours because that's what they need for their mental health or their health goals or whatever. So I think. You're right, everybody is gonna have an individual plan, although it should be included. These things need to be in there, but you know, some dogs need more, some dogs need less. People ask me all the time, how, how long are your decompression walks with Jade and Freddie? And I'm like, my number might be different than what your number is gonna be for your dog. So you know, for them, a good half hour, 45 minutes is perfect. They're fine for the whole day. Sometimes we get an hour and they're very fine. If it's less than that, I definitely noticed that they wished it was the number that I originally said. Mm So, you know, I know what my dogs need and sometimes for other clients I work with, I recommend longer things to do and different types of enrichments. So, you know, breed, DNA day-to-day energy levels, what your lifestyle is like, all of that stuff is going to play a role in what we recommend as trainers to, to do or not do with your dog and how much to do. And I think it's very good that you said hire somebody, work with a trainer, work with a qualified professional, because if you really are concerned or you're really not sure where to get started, that's what professionals are for. That's what we're here for is to give you those answers. So you feel, okay, I have a plan. I know what to do.
1: And you mentioned the relationship aspect right of Mm -hmm. human and dog and when you build a relationship with the dog you're taking in information and then you can adjust so maybe my one of my dogs is fine with one you know decompression walk a day my other little one she could easily do three or four you know 20 minute walks or i'm sure if we did you know a couple of hours she would be great so (laughs) and I'll leave him home because he doesn't want to do it. So when you're taking in that information and seeing and adjusting, then you can find that sweet spot instead of Mm -hmm. what our society tends to like, which is instant results. And I'm like, very rare to get (laughs) in. We're
0: all for it. If it happens, that's the exception, not the rule. The rule is you have to trial and error some things and, and figure out what's going to fit right. And I think I say a lot, hey, we need a week or two or three, depending on what it is, of data collection. Right? Mean, we're re- we have to become researchers with our dogs and say, oh, okay, was this too much? Was this enough? And then once you know that, you're set. But if you're not spending the time trying to figure that out or putting in a little bit of the time and effort in the work, it's it's gonna, you're gonna constantly be in a, I don't really know what's working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're frustrated or potentially frustrated for a much longer period of time than just putting in the work for a week or two or whatever and figuring out what your dog needs. But yeah, trial and error, like most things, right? We have to figure that out. And I like using the analogy with whether it's enrichment or behavior work or you're training a new skill or whatever, whatever relationship building you're doing with your dog. Because I really do think training is really relationship building it's really not the old school obedience training. My dog's gotta listen. Yes, do I hope my dogs listen to me? Of course, but I don't frame it that way because I think as humans, we will get frustrated more quickly. We will get annoy- annoyed more quickly. We'll wanna give up more quickly. So we need to view this as a kind of parental, you know, pet parent kind of viewpoint because we have someone who's depending on us for literally everything. I think spending some time and figuring it out, is going to save you time in the long run. It's just mm-hmm. putting it. So I use, I use weight loss or working out as an analogy a lot because yeah, I could go lift a couple pounds and th- that doesn't mean now I have six pack abs. You know, I, I, I'll never have six pack abs and I'm okay with that. But a lot of times what people want for training or how their dog is going to respond to things is the version of six pack abs overnight. And I'm like, we need to just be okay with like a five pound weight loss, as it can. <laughs> you know? And I think people appreciate that analogy because we get that as humans. We understand that takes time.
1: Because we all have this image in our head of what we expected when we we got a dog. And sometimes yeah. it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And so I try to walk people through like, okay, here here's the dog you started with. Here's the image of the dog over here that you wished you had. And maybe you're right here, but can you see you're not you're not here anymore. So that progress is in those little details and and that's frustrating sometimes but that's where the magic happens suddenly you wake up and your child is grown or suddenly you wake up and your dog is like sleeping longer or you know suddenly gets that trick or that that cue that you've been working on so when we try to skip over those little details we're just frustrating ourselves and our dogs and we're not paying attention to that dialogue right so if your dog runs away when you try to put them in the crate it's frustrating but your dog is trying to tell you something so how can we take that information and and move, move ourselves closer to that goal without trying to rush to the goal, right?
0: Absolutely. I think it's much more about the journey and not the destination <laughs> in mind. And, and yeah, I think people need to pat themselves on the back for where they, from like you said, where they started to now. You know, they've always made some progress. It might not be at the level we would have hoped right away, but it's normal that pro- progress that's meaningful. Meaningful change takes time. And so if we want it to be meaningful and we want it to be actually, I I also use the analogy. I'm the analogy queen. I think dog trainers in general are just analogy, awesome people with analogies. So so we all use these. It's Mm -hmm. like building a house, right? You buy a plot of land and you're gonna build a nice beautiful house on it. How exciting. So we get this dog or this puppy, how exciting. I'm gonna have them do all this awesome stuff. If you hire a contractor and they're doing the foundation, which is boring for people, we want to get to the home de gore, to home de Gore, home uh, to Gore, Chip and Joanna Gaines beautiful fixer upper style stuff, which I love, and we're ready to do all the cute stuff and have it all look nice. But should they rush that foundation now? We have a house that looks good initially, but now after a few months, we have. Uh, cracks in the ceiling, water is coming through the roof because they rushed that, the foundation's cracking, and now we have to rebuild the whole darn thing for it to be right. So um, I like using that foundation. You're setting foundational stuff up with your dog, and if we rush that stuff, unfortunately, we're going to wind up making more work for ourselves later because it's not solid enough to hold the rest of the house up.
1: Absolutely. That's so true, but it's hard, right? Cause that takes yeah. so much longer. So, but we have to sit in a little bit. How did you, what did you notice when you started incorporating enrichment with your dogs? How did that change your relationship with them or how they were interacting with the world? And what was some of the things you noticed just with your clients too, as you started to promote that more?
0: I think one of the biggest takeaways for me personally, and for with clients. And one of the things I love about enrichment the most aside from the fact of the basic it keeps your dog busy if you need them to do something of course that's great but the main thing would me for for me would be confidence building I think uh, take my pit bull Jade as an example she I never really used boxes with her initially you know I had the food dispensing toys and I would use other household things which I'd love to touch on it in a moment too, just so people don't feel like they have to buy a million toys because that, you know, toys are great and you, I'm the type of person I want it done for me. So if you have a toy, I'll pay you the money. But <laughs> anyway, um, you know, I household stuff too, but I never really got into the boxes thing until Freddie came along and he, was a little braver. I could, so so take Freddie and take Jade, they're two totally different breeds, to, two totally different personalities, right? Every dog is their own individual. Freddie will just jump right in the box and he'll hop over it and in it and he's not nervous about it at all. Jade is more of a, she needs to date the box and figure mm-hmm. out how she feels about the box before committing to it. She takes, she's a little slower about new stuff. She's got to take it in. So I could tell the first couple times She would get involved and she wasn't like scared of it, but I could tell she was kind of like, what is this? What is all this about? Where Freddie's like, what is this? And he (laughs) jumps right in. So it's cool cool to see their personalities. Again, data for me to go, okay, good to know. And after, you know, a handful of times with the box, now Jade is. Oh my gosh, I loves it and rips it up and she's super confident about it. So I have found that it helped her become more curious initially of things in a positive way versus kind of apprehensive about let me figure it out first. So that's even helped her, who's already a very confident dog in general, to be even more confident with these little things and for Freddie, who came to us with a ton of problems, um, which we've worked through uh, over the years, but you know he came to us really kind of broken and I had to work on all the stuff I tell all my clients to do. And enrichment for him has just helped him relax and kind of settle down with something when it's you know a long chew he's going to be on a bully stick or something like that if he's just having some chew time or puzzles he's just so such a smart little nugget and goes through those puzzles so fast and I've upgraded him to did more difficult puzzles as he's done well with the lesser difficulty ones but yeah confidence building for both of them and just helping them I can tell they feel fulfilled after most of these activities and they kind of just settle down. They feel like, okay, I just did that long task. Or even if it was 10 minutes, I just completed that task. It's like checking off a to-do thing off of our to-do list. It just feels like I did it. I can tell that they feel good about it and they'll, they'll kind of settle down a little bit better than if they didn't have that activity.
1: I have a dog owner who I interviewed for the episode before yours, and she talked about the difference in their sleep where it's instead of just like passed out there's almost like a a settle settled into it and like a super relaxed state to their sleep where they're like they're they're out but in a way that's almost a satisfying sleep not just like what people call like the daycare crash where they're just like, so exhausted. Mm -hmm. It's more of a fulfilled. It's she's like, it's a little hard to describe. I'm like, as I'm saying, I'm like, yeah, it's a little hard to describe, but once you experience it it and see it, you're like, oh, I get it. I get it now. I'm not just trying to tire my dog so much that they just crash and they're dead to the world, but that they've had a satisfying experience with the world.
0: Yeah. I think that tired thing is so important because just because your dog's sleeping, you know, is it, if you've had a really stressful day at work and a bunch of things went wrong with a bunch of projects or clients or whatever a person is doing for work, you could come home and be absolutely exhausted. Is that a good exhausted or is that, you know, stressful? I had a really long day and a lot of running around to do, and man, I'm just wiped you know there's i think a healthier ways of being quote unquote tired and i think that's a great example with that person of just yeah it's a kind of a good fulfilled end of the day all my needs were met so i consider enrichment as a need a need that needs to be checked off for your dog
1: well erica i wanted to touch on something a little bit because i found it hilarious but we're going to we're going to backtrack so you have a pr degree i have an english literature degree awesome. and I think it's kind of clear in how you manage your content that you have some training in it. And and I, I hope the same is true of mine. I don't know. But I, I really liked that path because it helped me develop a really cool skill that I can take in with me into my dog training. And it's really helpful, especially because we both have to do so much educating around what we do and, and how to help people. So have you found your, your PR degree to to be helpful in, in, in what you, what you're doing I see it I see I see it but um, what what's been your experience with going that route
0: well thank you first of all thank you for the kind words I'm glad that that's even noticeable at any degree so I appreciate that a lot so yeah I think I think absolutely what I've done in, in the world uh, you know I think I think even my corporate jobs aside from my my you know degree and and just learning everything about it cuz I think with degrees like that it it changes so much. When I was in college learning about public relations, there was core things that I've taken with me to other jobs and to my career now as a trainer. But we were we were coding websites back then and all sorts of weird stuff that some people listening to this might even know what the heck that is. So you know, it's um, times are changing every month. Something new is going on. We know the world we're living in now is you're really not, uh, you're not ever really caught up. You're still catching up because new stuff's happening. So so aside from that, I, I think the core things, absolutely. And I think just working in the environments I was working in has helped me tremendously be able to have content, I think is helpful. And just the way I promote my business or promote the ideas that I'm trying to get out there and, and help educate. Cause that's really what we're doing as dog trainers is, is really educational stuff. We're training people on how to train their dogs and training the dogs we're with as well in the moment that we're in the session. So we're doing, we're wearing multiple hats. I feel like as, as trainers, as I'm sure many people in other professions wear multiple hats aside from what their title is, but Yeah, I think it's definitely helped me. Um, And, you know, I suck at a lot of different things, but I am very good on video and I'm very, you know, I know my strengths. So I think it's important no matter what you're doing in life to know yourself and kind of reverse engineer what you want and what you're comfortable with. I think self-awareness is a big thing. So I'm lucky that my background is in something that I'm just naturally kind of good at, as opposed to going for you know, something that not naturally is good, but now I have a degree in it because I do have folks that that's happened to them, unfortunately, and they're not passionate about it. So I think it's been very helpful for sure.
1: Yeah. And you've been able to, I know with the pandemic hit, you've been able to cre- create some really cool things. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, if you, ha- you had to promote, obviously your TikTok, that's, that's something that you've been able to grow and do some really, really awesome things there. And and get a, a pretty good following, actually. So I, I'm I'm not good on TikTok and I enjoy TikTok, but it's not something that, <laughs> that I can, <laughs> uh, so, and, and it's a good point too, about different skills as uh, business owners and dog trainers, we have to be able to onboard our clients and promote ourselves and follow up with clients and uh, finances and all this stuff. There's actually a lot to it. Not only do we have to do all those things, but we have to teach people how to train their dogs and then, you know, training dogs, there's just, there's so much to it. it So many layers. Yeah, but bit best job ever. But it is. Yeah. Do you have anything to promote? How did you get started on TikTok, for example? I know that's something.
0: Yeah, thanks to the pandemic, I was (laughs) bored like everybody else, trying to find some way to escape, I guess, and have some fun, and connect. So yeah, I love TikTok. I'm I'm I've not only started a new skincare regimen and learned better ways to clean my house and new recipes. I mean, I've just, I know a lot more than I did before 2020 now. Did you,
1: did you plop your hair?
0: Yeah. Oh, I've, I have a, you know, a new diffuser and a hair (laughs) routine. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> TikTok has both um, helped me and hurt my wallet at some level from buying certain things on there, but I mean it's been it's been a blast for many of us, and I enjoy I do enjoy consuming it. And I did spend time my pr my pr side of my brain. I spent time just consuming it for a while before speaking on it or doing anything on it. So I understood what was going on. So I like to listen first and then talk later. I think also as dog trainers, that's an important skill. Um, hearing from your clients first and then giving feedback after you have all of the info. So got some information, but yeah, TikTok, I'm on there. Um, You know, I have a lot of fun kind of dog humor and, you know, I think being a PR person uh, background in it anyway, you know, you're either educating or informing or entertaining in some way. I think that type of content always does best. So I'm usually entertaining on TikTok with some informative stuff built in. And then I have you know, some of my tutorial stuff on there as well. But yeah, I'm on TikTok for anybody who's on there. It's, uh, I'm on Instagram too and Facebook and Snapchat and Pinterest and Twitter and uh, Patreon and everything's my name is from Dusk Till Dog. So you can find me luckily, I, no one had that handle everywhere. So I got to have the same one across the board. That's
1: always a plus. Awesome. I will tag to everything (laughs) in the description and then on the article. And then you have a podcast yourself as well, right?
0: Oh, I do. Yeah. That's always fun and called the dog training audio experience. And I'm starting to ramp up more more guests. I'll have to have you on mine. We'll have to swap, swap podcasts. So, um, but yeah, there's free content. I'm all about at this stage, especially after 2020 and just reevaluating my life as we've all reevaluated ourselves a few times, I think by now, but I'm, I'm just doing my best to put out as much free content and, you know, Patreon is a paid channel where I do extra special stuff, but all of my platforms are just to help reach the general pet parent, public of how to help their dogs and help their relationship with their dogs, so Definitely. um, That's, that's what I've been focusing on is just trying to trying to help as we all do as trainers. So trying to put out that content and help others as best as we can, especially during times like these. This has
1: been Telltale Dog, the podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, a certified dog trainer located in central Arkansas. And my guest today, Erica Gonzalez of From Dusk Till Dog. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago of 7 Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify and stick around for after the music for some final advice from Erica.
0: One thing I wanted to make sure we did a little moment of is for enrichment. So a little takeaway for those listening, I think enrichment can be easy, doesn't need to be something extravagant, doesn't need to be something that lasts an hour. It could be as simple as putting some of your dog's dry food in a towel and rolling it up into little, a little doggy burrito and having them, you know, figure it out and grab that stuff out. It could be egg cartons. So I save egg cartons and paper towel rolls and toilet paper rolls and cardboard boxes. And even that pip brown paper bag type of paper that comes in the boxes and I wrap chews in there, your dental treat that you give your dog every day, wrap it up in there and hide it somewhere. You, know, you can hide stuff around your house with nothing. Just hide a couple of treats or a couple of pieces of food. Have your dog go search and send them on a food search. You know, you can do toys like hideaway toys or hiding toys around the house and having your dog go find his favorite toy that you, you know, put a name to it and have them go search for it. There's tons of ways to do it, and I think lastly, a big thing I talk about a lot on my channels are, is a decompression walk, and that just means you know going somewhere with your dog that's not the block you go around every single day, and just letting them be somewhere, an empty parking lot, a park, a field, a playground no one's using, I know some people in the inner cities, they don't have any place like that. They go to a cemetery, like make it work, whatever you can try to do near you to bring your dog on a little bit of a longer leash and just let them kind of do their thing. There's no structure. There's no, you got to walk good. You got to look at me. It's just both of you, human and dog, take a moment to just decompress because lord knows we all need that right now more than ever so i just wanted to say it's it can be very simple it could be as simple as going on a decompression walk which you don't need you don't really need food you don't need a toy you don't need you just need outdoors somewhere and take some time to just spend with your dog on a, in a stress-free environment that you can just enjoy life for a moment so it could be very very simple and i think anybody can start implementing enrichment today without anything fancy. You can get fancy, which I like to do sometimes with that stuff, but you don't need to. It can be very, very easy.